This is the last um, section that we are looking at now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we are looking at particularly the section from verse 6 to the end. I'd actually like to just read the whole chapter again. I know Steve covered the beginning of it, the first um, five verses, but I need to, I want to refer back to that again in, in my opening. So let me just read the whole chapter. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to ask for help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that, we, that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all, all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. That um, verse five um, is a, as Steve had mentioned before, is a finishing of the request for prayer and looking at trusting in God. It's a positive that the apostle Paul was giving to them, that the Lord would direct their hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. And uh, he ends that section with a positive there, which is, it is lovely uh, that that is 
an important thing that he felt was necessary to be said to the Church of God in Thessalonica, that they would have their hearts directed. It's something, again, that we, we need to learn from, uh, each one of us, to have our hearts directed to the love of God is one of the most important things you can pray for. <laughs> to experience the love of God uh, is one thing, but to have your heart directed to it so that you're steeped in it, you understand it, and you live your life by it, it's quite another. Sometimes we can be guilty, I certainly can, of appreciating God's love in what I best describe as a superficial way. It's good he sent his son. It's good that God loves me. It's good that my future is secure. Now, let's go on with other things. To be steeped in it, to be directed, for my heart to be steeped in it, then I need to live it. And every minute of the day, whatever I'm doing, and to experience it in every aspect of my life, and to be a joyful Christian, to be knowing the love of God, how can you be anything else? So if I'm downcast, if I'm upset, if I'm worried and concerned, then I seem to think I must have come out of his love. Because if you're in his love, how can you feel that? The other thing was that the steadfastness of Christ or the perseverance of Christ was the example that Paul was directing them to look at. And of course, in every aspect of our Christianity, in every aspect of our lives, we need to have Christ as the ultimate example. And Paul was focusing on this. But as we go on to reading this day, this last chapter, he talks then about what he has given to them himself. Or he talks about they, uh, they what he had come, or they had commanded the people of Thessalonica. You see the importance of the position of Paul as an apostle. He was somebody who was first called out of due season, as it, he says, the other apostles had been with Jesus. Paul was the one who was called on the road to Damascus, and he saw Jesus, and he heard the command given directly to him, and he was able to go away into Arabia, and we don't know what happened there, but he had experiences of the call of God in his life, that when he came back, he was an apostle who had given the call, he'd heard the call of apostleship. And what he said and what he gave was directly from God. So whilst we look at Christ as the ultimate example, the perfect example, 
we should be looking at Paul maybe as the imperfect example. <laughs> uh, a mere man, of course, and uh, subject to sinful thoughts, like the same as all of us. But he had a sp peculiar, a specific uh, appointment along with the other 12 disciples who became apostles, that they were called of God and that they had the command of God and they had the authority from God to be able to speak in the way that they did. So when they were able to say in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers and sisters, we command you brethren, we command you as the church of God in Thessalonica, that was from God. I think a lot of people make the mistake, I believe, of sometimes reading scripture and saying, yeah, that was Paul's uh, ideal. That was Paul's thoughts. That was his interpretation of it. Or that was only applicable for that time. This, what Paul was saying to them was of God. And that's why it has an authority. And that's why we should take it as such. He had been given that responsibility. When we go back to, you know, we, we've read it already in First in Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 at the beginning. Um, Paul sets out in verse 5. Um, I'll just read it again. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And then he goes on to talk about how they lived and the example they set. And then again in the second letter, um, at the beginning of the chapter, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith and all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. You see the authority that comes from him. And so here at the end of the letter, he is exerting his authority again to them. In the name of Jesus Christ, there's no greater authority. We command you, brothers, to keep away from other brethren, other brothers who are idle and do not live according to the teaching you received from us. So although it, he's saying it's from us, what I'm indicating is it's from God. And this is teaching that's from God, came out of the lips or the hand of, of Paul, but it has the same authority as if it had come directly from the mouth of God. So when we talk about the traditions that, the, that they don't live according to the teaching or the traditions you received from us, then what he's talking about is the word of God. He's talking about that that had been entrusted to him. It puts again 
an enormous importance on the word of God that here he's talking about what he has given them from God. It's now been written down in a letter and we have got that letter. So it's the same feeling that we should have that this is the word of God. And although this has been a command of Paul to them, this is a command of Paul to us. This is a command from God to us. So even although it might sound a little trivial, and we're saying, oh, look, we're talking about idle people. This is something that God deigned was necessary and was important enough for to be put into the heart and the mind of Paul to write down for the Church of God in Thessalonica. Therefore, it's also for the Church of God in Manchester and Liverpool and wherever else. Therefore, we take heed. The behaviour according to the apostle's example, the other responsibility that Paul had was how they lived, how he lived and his followers lived who were working for him and ultimately for God. Their example was important. The level responsibility that we have in the kingdom of God is how we live our lives. Sometimes we are very good at talking. We're very good at interpreting scripture. We're very good at sitting in Zooms and telling you each other how we ought to live our lives. It's a much harder thing to act it out. And for people to see in our lives that what we are saying has got the authority of God because we see it in their lives. No point in talking about trust. No, talk, no point in talking about submitting to the will of God and talking about obedience if we just don't act on it and people don't see it in our lives. So it's tremendous responsibility. But where's the motivation? You know, we, when we read about Paul and his example, he had a very hard life <laughs> and compared to what he would have had had he not decided to become a follower of the Lord Jesus. And as we, we, we read at the beginning of uh, the first letter, he knew about the suffering of the Church of God in Thessalonica. And he experienced it himself. And so therefore, they would have looked to him as to be an example as to how do you act when you're suffering? How do you act when you're in difficulty? A lot of us have difficulties in our Christian life. We struggle, not so much physically, although some do that as well, but just being able to submit and to appreciate God and to live like Christ is very hard for a lot of us. And people are watching us and people are wondering, is this truth that they talk about? Is this service that they talk about? Is it worthy of our time and devotion and scripture searching? Do we want to be part of those people? I wonder how many of us sometimes are saddened 
when we feel that maybe we've not set the sort of example that Paul would have, or more importantly, the Lord would have, and we fall far short. But even although we fall far short, then we are still called and we still can pick ourselves up time and time again and seek the Lord's help in our service for him. He'll give us all we need. It talks about, you know, the diligence of Christ, or Paul talks about the diligence of Christ. When we, you know, you read through the life of Christ, you marvel, don't you? The sort of life he lived and try and imagine it. You're never given the full picture. But to somebody who gave up something, <laughs> a glory that we can only imagine to become lower than the angels, to become somebody who had no roof over his head, to become somebody who had come to die, then it's a tremendous example. And even if we look at Paul and look at his example, then we have extremely hard acts to follow. But we will be a, an example. Verse 7 or you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. So the teaching that they had given, they felt confident they had given it in a way that was understood and it was known to them. Um, when they went on to talk about, um, although the apostles could have demanded uh, the affection of the Church of God in Thessalonica, although they could have commanded um, food and uh, accommodation and whatever they needed because they had been called of God and they were doing something that God wanted them to do, they did not impose themselves on them. Again, they felt it was necessary to set a good example. And so they, they worked, they, uh, they, they worked for their own food and they didn't demand anything of a, a church that we can only assume were not very well off and would have maybe struggled. And maybe some, Satan would have used that against them uh, to say what a hardship this is. These people that have come amongst us, they're a pain, they're, they're bleeding us dry, they're eating us out of house and home, or whatever they might have said, or Satan would have put in their hearts to say, they avoided that because, again, they were being led by the Lord. And so they set this good example to be an example. So what do we learn from that? It's something that we should always be conscious of as to how we are perceived by others. And the example set by the Lord, the example set by Paul, you know, if we can even get partway there, we're doing well. Paul had taught them that, look, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> that sounds pretty harsh. Um, again, just going back to the first letter uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, Make it your ambition, verse 11, to lead a quiet life, 
to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I think it's a, a recognition of just how Satan is going to use every means possible to attack any service for God. This was this truth of the gospel that was being um, exposed and was being a bit like an explosion that was going on in the known world at that time. Satan was active, trying to demean it in every way possible. And here, Paul was aware of it. And he was trying to avoid any criticism that might be leveled at them. And he's also warning them that this is what can happen in churches of God. There was one commentary I read that suggested that there were the, the Church of God in Thessalonica were lazy people, or some of them were, because they believed the Lord was coming soon. And they were living in that hope that uh, it, it was going to happen soon. Come. So what's the point of working? And what was the point of um, really stretching yourself? Just uh, he's going to be here any day. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But uh, there were some among them who were classified as idle. They were not working for their, their food. So they were scrounging because uh, somebody must have been feeding them. And Paul was warning them against these people and that they needed to deal with them. They needed to uh, act on this. They were called, another version said, troublesome meddlers, because they had this spare time, because they weren't working, and maybe they were going around uh, different homes and uh, getting free meals and free accommodation because they weren't working, but they were becoming meddlesome. They were becoming difficult, and Satan was using them to cause disruption, and there was a necessity they had to be dealt with. In the, in the Western world, maybe we don't see too much of that idleness. Um, it's something, obviously, in some of the third world countries you have to be very aware of. Sometimes call them rice Christians, people who want to become Christians because they think they can um, get money from the uh, Western churches that are supplying the help there. And, of course, that's something that brethren sisters are well aware of to look out for. Uh, in this country, um, maybe less so. We have more of a, a, a problem of people who maybe work too much. <laughs> uh, they're working to gain wealth and to spend that wealth and worldly things. So that may be a bigger problem. But it's a, still a problem and it's still a, something that needed de dealing with. And I think that Paul was uh, saying to them, take them in hand, because people who become meddlesome, troublesome, they become moaners, they become complainers, and they become disruptive in the life of an assembly. And any assembly can do without that. So there's a responsibility of us to deal with it 
and Paul was giving them uh, guidance in this of how to um, encourage them, exhort them, and to do it in such a way to show love, not to lose them, not to uh, be too harsh, but to change, cause them to change their ways. And that is something that I think, you know, it's, it doesn't sit well with a lot of us. We don't like to be critical, uh, particularly us Brits. We do, it, it's easier sometimes just to sort of stand back and just say, well, that's just them. And if it's starting to cause trouble in an assembly and eat away, then it's something it does need acting on. And somebody has to draw alongside that person and say, you know, is it good that you keep moaning about that other person or you keep complaining about such and such a thing? Uh, is that something the Lord would have done? Is that something that Paul would have done? Exhortation is of God because we have been called of God and we believe all of us who are in the Church of God in Manchester or wherever, we're called of God, therefore we are loved by God, therefore we belong to God, therefore we are precious to God, therefore how we deal with each other is very, very sacred because we are handling God's things. And so it's important that we read things like this, that we take the example of Paul and that we apply the advice of Paul because it's of God and we're dealing with the people of God. We are be dealing with those who Christ died for. We never forget that, that even if we've got a pain in the neck in our assembly who's causing us lots of trouble, he's somebody Christ died for and he's somebody God loves. And therefore, how we handle them is with a view to rectifying the wrong and restoring this brother or sister to the position that God would desire. He goes on to talk about <clears throat> don't grow weary. Woe is to work as a, unto God. And that applies really to our, even our secular work or whether it's our, our service or directly in the, the church things. We have a responsibility to keep busy. We have a responsibility to ensure that we uh, live our lives in the way that God wants us to quietly and to enjoy this life. Not to be mourning about it and complaining about it, but to live quietly, to enjoy the things of God, but also not to grow weary. Sometimes if our assembly is getting smaller, sometimes if people are not acting <laughs> as we think they should or are not um, showing as much interest or are losing interest, whatever it can become a, uh, something that causes disruption in the assembly and causes us to get weary and say, what's the point? What is the point of us preaching? What is the point of us, those who spend hours in the word of God to receive word from God and you come to speak 
and a lot of people are not there. They can't be bothered. They can't be able to listen to what God has to say. Sometimes there's very good reasons for that, and God knows the heart, and we've got to be careful about how judgmental we are. But here Paul is just saying, don't grow weary. You have a responsibility, and give what you can. Serve him. Don't be idle, and don't grow weary. You're doing it for me. And if nobody turns up, then you think about it. You've received something from God anyway. And it might just be for you. That's why God gave it to you. It doesn't need to be shared. Who are we to judge? These things are brought together in the end of this year with a, the salutation that this, you may, the Lord of peace, who is giving his presence. The Lord of peace is us knowing his presence. And so Paul finishes up this letter. Uh, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times. Goes back to what he'd just been saying, summing it up, that be content. Don't be reliant on other people, but just be reliant on God and to enjoy his peace and to real and enjoy the presence of God, that he is with you always. So when you're moaning, you're moaning to him, he's with you. The creator of all heaven and earth, would you moan to him that your life's not as good as it should be when he's given you eternity? I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is a distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And he finishes it as he finishes all his letters, all his epistles, all 14 of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Understanding his grace towards us is understanding God and understanding his love for us, understanding why he sent his son, understanding why he loves us, understanding why he's designed a future for us. It's all grace. If we understand that, then we understand this letter and Paul's inquiry for them, his love for them, and his devotion for them. And so he finishes his letter saying, the grace of God be with you. And so I say to you, the grace of God be with you. Amen.